We are in the middle of this 12-week series, digging in an in-depth look at being God's church, and we're looking at uh, the attributes of the early church um, in the first 10 chapters of Acts, and we're, and we're looking at ourselves. Are we uh, a church that exemplifies these, these things that we read about, these amazing stories that we read about in, uh, in Acts? So that's where we're at. And what I'd like to do today, uh, as we begin, if you want to take a Bible... Um, this is, a, I'm, I'm going to use a, a pew Bible today. I'm normally an electronic Bible person, so if you like to use a device um, for, uh, for your Bible reading and Bible study, then I salute you. I think that is a great way to do it. I love to be able to toggle with different uh, um, translations and whatnot. But as a united front, I am holding a pew Bible, um, the NIV, and, uh, and what I'd like to do is, we're at the sixth week of this series. And, um, and I would like to take a, a really brief, what I call a thumbnail sketch view of the first three and a half chapters of Acts so we can see where we've been and, and take a really broad, sweeping, um, fast overview of the ways that God has been displaying this amazing Holy Spirit power in the first few chapters of Acts. And then we'll get to uh, the text that I'm going to uh, preach today in the back half of chapter 4. But, um, but if you have your Bible and kind of follow along, this is going to be lightning around, okay? You ready? So, and, be, and last hour I said, previously in the Acts of the Apostles. Right? So we, in, in chapter 1, we have the resurrected Jesus. We find the resurrected Jesus, and he's been with the uh, disciples for 40 days. And he's been continuing to teach them. And uh, at the end of that first paragraph, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. And he's taken up, right before their eyes, he's taken up into heaven. And the apostles that have seen all of these amazing works and displays of his power, they see a new one, you know, for the first time. It says says they were gazing intently up into the heavens. I just imagine them kind of looking up at the sky and going, well, that was a new one. That was a new display of God's power that we haven't seen. And so they uh, follow his words and they they go back to Jerusalem. They go back into the... uh, to the upper room, which has been kind of their hideout for a while, and they're waiting. They're waiting for, for this gift that the Father has promised them, and they spend that time choosing a new disciple. But 10 days go by, and we know it was approximately 10 days because Jesus was with them for 40 days. And then on the day of Pentecost, which is the 50th day of, uh, of the Passover festival, and actually, the, the 50th day is actually its, uh, its own feast. It's called the Feast of Weeks. And that would have been where all of the um, God-loving Jews from all over the, the Roman Empire, from different cultures, different languages, um, just a really great image of uh, God's kingdom, they would have descended once again upon Jerusalem, and they would have been bringing their harvest offerings. So they'd be bringing big... Um, baskets of, of grain and whatnot, and, uh, and so they would have been there on the day of Pentecost. And at the beginning of chapter 2, we see that on that day, on the day of Pentecost, the believers were all together in one place, and uh, there was about, earlier it said that there was uh, 120 of them gathered in the upper room. We don't know if there was 120 of them here, um, or even if they were in the upper room, but it says they were all t- uh, together in one place, and all of a sudden there was a sound of a violent rushing wind, and what looked like tongues of fire that descended upon them. And in my creative mind, I like to sort of imagine what that might have looked like. Because when you see the little flannel children's ministry things, it, it's not, it doesn't look very good. But in my mind, it's got the Hollywood version of that. And uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, indwells each and every 
one that is there. And it is a, it's a whole new paradigm for the world. It just is a major shift. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages. And all of these people that had, would have come in from all over the empire for the Feast of Weeks, they would have heard them speaking in their language, and they say, how is this possible? And there's the funny line, you know, that some people think that they're drunk. And then Peter says, Peter stands up. Now, this is the same rough-edged, son-of-a-fisherman, um, mistake-making, not eloquent, not educated person. Hello, sounds like me. He stands up and he says, they're not drunk, and he preaches his very first sermon. He preaches his very first sermon, and he says, no, it's because they're filled with the Spirit of, of God, and that's made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he, and he preaches it boldly and in an empowered way. And I imagine Peter was probably really startled that that happened. But uh, in, at the beginning of, uh, or not at the beginning, but in chapter 2, um, up at the top of uh, verse 37, it says, When the people heard him preach, they were cut to the heart, and they said, Brothers, what did we do? They heard the resurrection message, the good news of Jesus Christ preached, and it cut them to their core. Have you ever heard something that just stops you in your tracks? And I imagine all of these people that thought that they were coming to Jerusalem and to the temple for one thing, and now this happens. And it is empowered, and it is big, and it is explosive, and it blows them away. What do we do? Peter says, repent, which... Repent means turn from your own ways to God's ways. Repent, be baptized, and every one of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that that day, 3,000 people believed. So overnight, they went from just a couple hundred people of the church. So there's, there's, we have a couple hundred here today. Imagine that the church was this size, and that overnight, it jumps to 3,000 plus. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue when all these people that thought they were coming to Jerusalem for one thing, and now this happens, and they are just blown away. So what do they do? In, uh, at the end of chapter 2, it, it says that they just kind of lingered. They just, they just were there, and they were all together. And uh, it reminded me of times that after second gathering, when we've had a really powerful day of worship here, and, and people don't want to leave. You know what I'm talking about? It's usually over here. There's people just kind of gathered. They don't want to leave, and that's what was happening with these people. They were blown away, and they're learning from the apostles, and, uh, and they're sharing everything that they had. New paradigm, what do we do about this? And as they're at the, the temple, uh, it says in the beginning of chapter 3 that Peter and John went, went in to pray, and they're walking in, and um, they encounter this, this man who, since birth, has not been able to walk. His life is, is uh, um, relegated to being a, a beggar, and all he can do is beg. He's one of those invisible people. He's one of those people that the crowds just walk by, and he begs and asks for help. And he, he reaches out his hand to, to, to uh, Peter and to John, and he asks them, he asks the church of Christ, he asks the church for help, and he says, do you have any money you can give me? And Peter says to this invisible man, Look at me. He says, look at me. He says, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this guy who has been lame since birth, and everybody knows it, he gets up and he walks in front of this huge crowd. And you can imagine that, I mean, the whole crowd sees this. 
And nobody's doubting whether or not they saw it with their own eyes. Nobody's doubting their own experience, but they're saying, oh my God, what just happened here? And Peter, still emboldened by the, the power of God, he preaches to them yet again. He says, he tells them the good news of Jesus. Which, by the way, these two um, sermons, if you ever need a refresher of like, what's it like to, to preach the gospel message? What needs to be in there? Those are perfect examples. Because they just are short and sweet and to the point. They have the gospel message. And people heard again, and it says that day, 2,000 more people were added. So can you imagine a couple hundred people just a couple days before, and now there's 5,000 plus. And actually it says 5,000 men, which in the oldie times would, would have meant that it was the men and the women and, and the children. So we're talking a mega church. Has anybody here ever visited what we call a mega church where there are thousands and thousands of people? Yeah, and, and you know, and if, if you are one of those people that says, well, I don't really care for a large church. Well, I got news for you. You would have hated the first church because it was a mega church within days. And here we have the apostles who up until this point had just been um, disciples of Jesus. They'd been learning from him, and they are thrust into this new world where they're the pastors of a mega church. It would have been utter chaos, Right? So now there's 5,000 plus people that believe it is a mega church. And what happens after that man is healed is the, the priests and the uh, captain of the temple guard him at the beginning of chapter 4 right now. They, um, they, they see that this man is healed and they say, under whose name are you, are you doing this? And they say, under the name of Jesus, which they knew that. They were trying to entrap them. And the, the Sadducees were kind of the, um, they, were, they were Jews that were... Uh, they were more culturally Jewish, but they really didn't believe much in the power of God, and they definitely didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were really concerned about preserving the status quo, right? So they didn't want to shake, uh, they didn't want to shake anything up because um, they didn't want the Roman Empire to come down and shut them down from being their own people. And so they were the ones being like, let's not get carried away here. So they have Peter and John arrested. They're taken before the Sanhedrin, which is the um, the Jewish uh, legal court, and the, and the Sanhedrin says, under whose name do you do this? And Peter preaches powerfully again. He preaches that message. This is under the name of Jesus. We've lived life with him. We've seen amazing displays of God's power, and we can't deny that, and you can't shut us down. So the Sanhedrin puts their heads together, and they say, uh, I love this, verse 16, they said, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed this notable sign, and we can't deny it. So they even admit that this man has been healed, and, but, they, but they're so entrenched in, in preserving their status quo that they shut them down and they say, all right, well, we can't deny that this happened, but you guys are not allowed to preach the, the gospel of Jesus again. And they send Peter and John away. So Peter and John return back to the, uh, to, to the megachurch, and, uh, and they report to them what happens. And Pastor Jeff preached this last, uh, last week, and this is in um, chapter 4. And they tell them what has happened, and the church responds in the best possible way. They worship together. In the face of this adversity, they worship together, and they pray. And it says in verse 29, they, they ask God. And I love, by the way, that when they worship, they, uh, they quote Scripture. They quoted Psalm 2 
kind of reminded me of our worship gatherings, and we sing, and, and we remember Scripture, and we say, remember God when, when this happened to David? Well, that's, we see that that's happening to us, and so, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So they ask God for God's great boldness. And it says down at the, down at the bottom of verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the leaders, and spoke the word of God boldly. And then we arrive at our text for today, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Before we continue, will you pray with me that God would reveal this next uh, five verses to us? Lord, uh, we trust, we're placing our trust in what we've heard in your word that these words are not just information, uh, they're not just history, they're not just knowledge for us to absorb, but we trust that you, that you reveal yourself and transform us with your word because you are the incarnate word. And so come now and speak to your church. And if that is your prayer, say, I want that. I want that. <laughs> I want that. I just thought of that. Napoleon Dynamite, anybody? Okay. I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> so here we arrive at, at verse 32, and I'll be honest, when I um, first heard that I was going to preach this passage, and I'm looking through at all these amazing displays of power that we just, just read, and then we get to these next five verses, and I thought, oh man, how am I going to do this? So this, this is a passage that you stumble upon and you go, what is really happening here? What's really being said? And so that's been my journey as I've been trying to figure that out. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to bring before you what I've discovered. So you guys ready? So verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. None of them claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this passage is often uh, referred, referenced by those who want to throw out there that, man, we just want to be like the original church. We just want to be like the first century church. And, and they were communists. And we want to be communists, and, and which is a really simplified way of looking at this. It's often um, referenced in that way. But as I looked at this passage, I thought, well, what is really going on here? And the way that um, Luke, who also wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the author of Acts. In fact, Luke and Acts used to be connected as one writing, and uh, they've been separated for us in, um, in the redaction of the, of the Bible books. But... Um, he, uh, he dropped a few verses in this passage in what seemed to me like kind of an odd, odd place. So here's what we'll do. We'll just work through this one step at a time and see what is really going on here. So in verse 32, it says, All the believers 
were one in heart and mind. None of them claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And the first thing that, uh, that we noticed that this should characterize, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this should characterize the church today is they were committed to unity. The church was one. They were experiencing all of this together and they were gathered and they were one in heart and mind. So if the church is characterized by its unity and it's one in heart and mind, what does that mean? Well, we've got this idea that if you're one in heart and mind, that's not just an empathy thing. It's not just an intellect thing. It's a gut thing. And, it, and in the old world, in the ancient world, that would have referred to being united in will and purpose. So they were united in their will and purpose. And it wasn't just um, an idea it wasn't just, um, yeah, it just wasn't just an idea, but they, they actually were, um, their attitude toward their possessions and towards possessing things all of a sudden changed overnight. And all of these um, baskets of grain that they brought, some people have speculated that, um, you know, we saw that they, they uh, when the people believed, they hung out at the temple and they shared everything that they had. And people that would have been bringing in their harvest like this is their hall and this is their offering to the Lord. It's been speculated that, that they would have, some people would have shared that with, with others. Which means that some of them would have been bringing in a lot, an abundance. And then some would be bringing in very little. Or some people maybe would have had none at all. So if you are one of the people that's bringing in this huge amount of, of grain, you've got a lot more to give away. It's harder to come down from that position of power than it is to rise up. But it says that they shared everything. Their attitude toward their possessions would have changed, or, or did change rather. All the believers were one in heart and mind. None of them claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And then we get to the part that I think is really, um, these next two uh, phrases, why did Luke put this right here? It seems like right now we're talking about uh, their life together, they're breaking bread together, they're living together and worshiping together and sharing everything. But then he says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The church has always been and will always be characterized by not just preaching the gospel, not just preaching the good news of Jesus, but here's the, here's the really good word. We're characterized by an empowered proclamation of the, revel, uh, the resurrected Jesus. It's not just sharing the Jesus story, but when you are uh, one who is after Jesus and after God and God begins to uh, really um, indwell within you uh, as, as you turn away from the things that you don't need and making more and more space in, in and of yourself, for God to work in you. You will be amazed that this empowered proclamation happens. And what's so great about this? Well, let me save that for, for, uh, for a moment here. So, okay, so check this out. I'm, I'm a seminary student. I know it's really irritating when seminary students start quoting Greek, um, you know, so they can show how much study they've been doing. But you guys, it's been so empowering for me to, to be able to, to, to learn Greek. And just um, in a matter of of um, you know, five weeks, five, six weeks, you're able to go from looking at stuff like this, which looks you know, like my daughter says, that looks like algebra. Uh, 
to being able to read the New Testament in Greek. And it is so empowering for two reasons. For me, first thing I notice when I compare it to what our, the NIV, uh, New International Version um, translation that we have on our pews, when I compare it with that, more often than not, I'm like, they nailed it. They, like, they really, wow, okay, so they really did translate the Bible well. These guys know what, these scholars know what they're talking about, more than me who's been in seminary for two years. Um, but then the other thing is, it, it, it definitely at times unravels this deeper layer of meaning that, um, that you just can't put into words in the same way as English. I'm, I'm not a verbal person. I'm not a verbal processor. Speaking and getting my thoughts to come from here and out to you guys is such a big challenge. But to be able to look at this and see that, oh my gosh, there's so much more that's being said here. So here's the deal with this, this phrase, and it's duname megale. Duname megale. So do not, and it actually would be that they were uh, proclaiming the gospel with power, great. Underline, great. And here's what that means. So duname is where we get the word like dynamic or dynamite, like explosive, psh, power, explosive power, great power. Um, and when we look at, at uh, the word duname, if you were to do a search for duname in the Gospels, you would find that primarily in Matthew and Mark, it's used a lot. And it's almost always used in reference to the, uh, what they called the deeds of power that Jesus displayed, his miracles. And back then they would call them the deeds of power, and that would be the duname word. But then here, Luke uses duname megale. It's power, but it's power great. And it's not, so like megale would be mega, so dynamic mega power. And I find it's really fitting that they were the first mega church, right? Duname megale, it's it's this over-the-top explosive power, but more than that, it refers to a power that is divine that comes from outside of ourselves. And I got to say, just like Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, I find this such a great word because I can get up here and not be as eloquent as Pastor Jeff. I cannot be as charming as Danny. I cannot be as wise as, as Art or as funny as Ben, but it doesn't really matter because all I got to do is get up here, read this, and what cuts to the heart is the duname megale power of proclamation. That's not, that's not my ability. Sorry, I'm getting emotional because, you know, you work and you work and you work and then you realize, oh yeah, it's God's power that does the convicting. It's God's power that cuts to the heart. Guys, all we have to do is love Jesus and he's going to do the rest. Right? Duname megale power. Thank you. Power that is great that's outside of ourselves. With great power, they continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then goes on to part two of this, this phrase. Why did he put this here? God's great grace was so powerfully at work in them all, not just the, 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 uh, the leaders, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. God's great grace. And we'll get to that great grace because why did he say great power, great grace? Was that the original like superlative Christianese talk that we always use? Man, it was amazing. <laughs> Bro, it was so, it was incredible. It was, it was over the top. Was he, was he being superlative or was there more to it? 
We'll get to that in just a second, but I, I want to jump down to the second half of this verse, that there were no needy persons among them, because we can't skip over this without recognizing that the church of Jesus is and always has been and always will be characterized by seeing and caring for the needy. When Peter and John walked up to the temple, they walked past an invisible person and they saw him and they gave him all that they had, which was the power of transformation that is available to them by proclaiming boldly with great duname power the good news. They saw him, they saw the needy, and I, I, it reminded me of Luke 4, and I don't have much time to, to get into this, but um, after Jesus prepared himself to launch into the next phase of his ministry, after he'd been baptized, after the Holy Spirit says descended upon him, after he went to the desert to be tempted for 40 days, he comes back to his hometown, and he's ready to launch into his ministry, and they ask him to preach. What's the first thing he says? The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The church will always be characterized by seeing and caring for the needy. And we have an example here of, of somebody in that original megachurch that responded. They saw a need um, for time to, from time to time. Those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who, who had need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son, son of encouragement, this is the same Barnabas we're going to hear about later in Acts, becomes uh, he, um, a missionary. He goes on, on the first mission, the first Christian mission with the Apostle Paul, just kind of intro, introducing who Barnabas was. And he saw a need. And so he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the Apostles' feet. And I imagine Joseph, whose world has just been rocked by this amazing, amazing explosion, this Duname Megale power explosion of the Holy Spirit and thousands of people saying, I can't deny what I've seen. I believe. And he saw a need, and I, I imagine him going, I, I, I have this property. I was going to do, I had plans, I was going to do something with it over here, but man, now everything is different. My will is different. My focus is different. And I see a need, and I'm going to sell that. And he would. He sold that and he would come lay it at the apostles' feet, which in the uh, ancient world, when you laid something at the foot of somebody else, it was a, a symbol of surrender to their authority. So Joseph saw a need and he jumped in. The church is always going to be characterized by caring for and seeing the needy. Um, quick note, their generosity was not mandated. Nobody was there saying, all right, everybody line up, come bring us your stuff. Uh, you're not keeping your stuff, are you? It was their stuff, right? It said that they, uh, they didn't consider their possessions their own. It was their attitude behind it. Now, getting back to the great power. With great power, with duname megale, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, and God's great grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy among them. There were no needy persons. God's great grace was so powerfully at work that that is why there were no needy persons, which is a tremendous relief because it's so easy to be like, okay, I need to be a good Christian. These are the things that I need to do. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be do, sitting on this committee. I should be doing, serving over here. It's so easy to 
to feel like there's things that we need to do. And what this is telling us is there's only one job. (laughs) You got one job. Your one job is to love God and to ask for God's presence. And God will give you his great power and his great grace. And, And everything else will flow out of that. Isn't that amazing? That's good news right there. So the church will always be characterized by great grace. And just like we had Duname Megale, check this out. This is, Luke says, it's Cariste Megale. It's grace, which is amazing, just like the song says. You've got amazing grace that comes from God. But he, he goes out of his way to say, over here we have great power, but we also have Cariste Megale. We have a grace that is outside of ourselves outside of our ability, outside of our skill or anything that we can bring. It's God's grace that's going to make all this happen. So the church will always be characterized by, by God's grace. And grace is this big mysterious thing that, that God doesn't really explain to us in detail. Like, let me explain the science behind grace. That doesn't happen in Scripture. It's a mystery. But here's, the, here's a, uh, what I think is a good definition of grace, just as we remember and we pray for God's presence and God's grace. God's grace is God's power in God's people for God's purpose. So if we want to be good Christians, if we want to be ministers of the good news that we've heard, if we want to have all those amazing displays of power that we read about in the first three and a half chapters of Acts, if we want all of that, we have a way to receive that, and it's by God's great grace, and that grace is always going to be 100% God's power. God puts that power in us, and it's always going to be for God's purpose. God's great grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. I'm out of time. There's so many things I want to say, but I'm out of time. (laughs) The church is always going to be characterized by great grace and all that we've discussed today, unity, empowered proclamation of the gospel, caring for those who need, they're all going to be products of God's great grace at work in us. So here's our, here's our action item. So in this series, every week we have um, a way that we can pragmatically move toward what we've talked about today. And again, this, mine is going to be the easiest one that you've had so far. You have one job. And that's to ask God for God's presence to be with you, to empower you, to give you everything that you need so that you can say, I'm living by Cariste Megale. I'm living by God's great grace. And, the, and friends, you'll recognize that that is God working in you. And I bear my testimony to you that that is what happens when you say, I'm going to set everything else aside and all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for the presence of God in my life. And God will show up for you. 